Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert. Kevin! Verno, what up, Chris? You must be feeling so good right now. I couldn't feel better. Um, I feel better than Earl Watson. We didn't even make it a week on the Ringer NBA show until somebody got fired. Um, mm. Very strange, right? We talked last week. In fact, when we were giving our predictions, one of the things we talked about was first coach to get fired. Never in my wildest dreams did I think by the next time we did a show, we would be able to talk about first coach fired. When you saw that, uh, I'll get your opinion first. When you saw that come across uh, social media, uh, when Adrian Wojnarowski, I believe, uh, broke that story, what did you think? I, I kind of, in many ways, Chris, appreciated the fact that they pulled the plug really quickly. I mean, I like Earl Watson. I think he can be a really good NBA head coach. I think he has the the right idea of how to build chemistry. I mean, when I wrote a story on them last year, I I liked him as a guy, and I think a lot of the players do too. But at the same time, being being a coach is more than just managing personalities. It's also X's and O's. It's also decisions with lineups. It, it's also it's also stuff at practices and how, how you really run your team. And I think that's where Earl Watson needs more time, needs more experience. And then for, so for Phoenix, I think it's a good thing that these young guys on that team that are talented, they have a lot of young talent, are, are hopefully going to get the, the coaching that they need moving forward. So I, I, I'm happy for the team that they did that, even though I, I'm disappointed for Earl Watson. And I hope, I hope in the future he does get another opportunity. You're right about him being a good guy. I covered Earl years ago. Um, for a couple different seasons, and I've always liked him personally. Um, that being said, he should have been fired after opening night. I almost think they waited too long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was <laughs> the most abhorrent thing I have seen in a long time. I mean, you are playing Portland on your home court. If your guys are ever going to have a Grand Slam effort, it's your home opener. Even rat teams have good openers. Um and Portland is out it, without without McCollum, and you lose yeah, by no McCollum. Yep, and you lose by fifty. I mean, come on, like that, <laughs> there is some there is something tragically wrong. There's just there's just no way. Yeah. I've never, I can't remember seeing something like that. A, a home opener being lost by fifty points. That's and and I know they said through three games the team had lost by a wider margin than anybody has um, in history. So it was. I mean, it. it I think we thought it was rather historic for a coach to be fired in three games, but the circumstances were also historic. What do you think they do? If I mean, there's, you know, there's what, 79, 80 games left when they did it, um, left in the season. Do you, do you ride out interim for this whole year? Um, do you think that job is desirable? I mean, in the end, all jobs are desirable because there's only 30 of them. Um, but I kind of think, wouldn't you want to go ahead and get with who, uh, since there is so much time left in the season, wouldn't you want to go ahead and get whoever your you know, ideal coach of the future is going to be now and, and let it happen in season? You know, like that's, that's going to be interesting to me, Chris, because I think for them, if if your ideal target is from a different organization or he's not in the NBA right now, I think it might be hard to hire that guy midseason. I mean, that's kind of unusual. So maybe you do ride out Triano, but at the same time, I mean, you bring up a good point where like it is early in the season. 
right now. So maybe you are in a position where whoever the guy is that you want, maybe you do reach out to him. But I, I think I think ideally maybe you do wait until the offseason anyway, or you find out that Triano is the guy for this for this squad, right? Yeah, um, I, I don't. I just think you know they, they, their defense is so bad, man. Like their their team is so young that. You just need to make sure that you take your time and find the ideal guy for this team, even if you do have to wait until next summer. I I I think that would be a big mistake. I do. Um, once a, yeah, once a, yeah, once upon a time I covered a team and the the coach was uh uh Sidney Lowe, right? Sidney Lowe was the the head coach of the team, and it just the season started off pitifully. And you may remember this, but they uh. They fired Sidney Lowe and they and Jerry West was running the team and they brought in Hubie Brown and they didn't win a ton of games that year, but it laid the foundation for the next year where they made this massive jump and won 50 games and he won coach of the year and all this kind of stuff. Right. So you didn't win a lot. So I think it, I, but I do think if, if that wouldn't have happened and you just start off the next season, then that, then the second season doesn't happen. I almost feel like it's it's better for somebody to go in there and kind of establish whatever, right? Their culture, their way of playing, and everything else, especially with a young team, that that would that'd be super helpful for them. Because if you go through this whole season, they lose 60 games or whatever, and then you turn around and you got somebody new. He's got to start from he's got to start from scratch next year with what they're wanting to do and how he wants to use these guys because you know Every coach has got their different ideas of the way they want to play or the way they want to use guys. So I don't know, man. I, I'd go ahead and do it. I'd go ahead and do it. But I'd like to see Triano get time. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, like a lot of people in the NBA don't have that high of opinion for the owner there. So yeah, he he I may mean, he, that's he ultimately the issue. Yeah, he may he may look at it and say, "Don't hire a coach. Ride with this guy because." He may, you know, sit back and and watch this season and then get rid of the GM anyway. And then allow the GM to bring in whoever he wants, right? He may clear that whole thing out. It's totally possible, right? Very, very uh, very possible. That could be the next step if this team is just still just an eyesore in the defensive end of the floor. I mean, some of the the plays from them, those first three games, just an utter embarrassment, just lack of communication, uh, just not rotating. Not playing with effort. It's sad to watch, really. I'll tell you this, and I know, you know, I, I don't want to. The last thing on earth I want to do is sound like some kind of uh, old fogey. It's not, it shouldn't be that way, whatever. But I did think there, it's like, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like there is a message sent when you go and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're trying to get Devin Booker this amount of points last year in a loss, no less. And then like, they all like sit around celebrating it and they're all taking pictures of this historic night and whatever. I, it, to me, it's like indicative of like what you value, right? Like I just, I, I think that's a terrible message to send. Um, but you know, on the other hand, it's the only fun thing that happened for him last year, I suppose. But I just, I don't know. Like to me, you're, you're really like, I, I, I don't think, in fact, I know that many of the great coaches that uh, name the great coach you can think of would be mortified by that happening. Looking on Instagram and seeing their players celebrating some kind of personal achievement 
uh, rather than even though they lost. The, they're all smiling and celebrating after a loss. Right. I don't know. I just think I think it set a bad precedent. And I don't know that it's OK to care about your box score. That's what I'd say. That's fair. You know, and I thought uh, and I'm not saying that's the reason he got fired, but I'm also saying I've been in locker rooms like that where. The first thing guys want is to see the box score, and they ain't looking at any other number except their particular line. And you got to figure that out. You got to figure out a way to get those guys to play together and 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 somebody sacrifice for the greater good. They had a catastrophe also with the Bledsoe thing. Um, Eric Bledsoe evidently told Ryan McDonough that he was at the hair salon, and that's where he didn't want to be anymore. <laughs> Which might have been of all the things when that tweet happened uh, i believe it was sunday and eric bledsoe said i don't want to be here anymore there were i mean i i don't know we could have come and done the show and i could have given you what will his either he's gonna own up to it and this is the new day and age where guys just own up to it like durant did or he's gonna come up with an excuse and i think you and i could have come up with I don't know, three, four hundred excuses before we got to I was at the hair salon. <laughs> I mean, what? That one's going to be near the bottom of the list. I, I don't know what's worse, though. That or hot yoga. DeMarcus Cousins from a couple years ago. <laughs> I mean, like if you, if you say like we got to fill in the blank, right? What was Eric Bledsoe talking about? Right. When he said, I don't want to be here, most people would believe he's talking about Phoenix. But amongst the list of things I would not have supposed, uh, getting your hair done ranks pretty high. It feels like, I mean, what is his trade value right now? Because didn't he, I mean, he really screwed that up, didn't he? If, you, if, he was, if he was a malcontent and he would have gone to them and would he said, listen, get me out of here, right behind closed doors then maybe they go shop him around and they can get pretty good value. Do you think there's any chance they get decent value for Bledsoe at this point? You know, I was talking with some people on Reddit yesterday about this, and like it was kind of a conversation about his value, and I'm I'm just surprised to see the amount of people that are recommending like Bucks give up Malcolm Brogdon, or there's some what? people saying the Cavaliers should give up the Nets pick. I just I don't see it. Like I don't see how Phoenix has any leverage at all, considering the situation. And even if they did have leverage, I don't see how Brogdon would necessarily be worth it, considering the season that he had. I'm I don't see how the Nets pick would be worth it even close for Bledsoe I mean look Bledsoe's a really good player um don't get me wrong but at the same time he's a guy that's had a lot of injuries over the years and he's in a situation where he clearly wants out and he's been banished by the team essentially so I don't think Phoenix has the leverage to to get back a whole lot here I think they can get a solid player maybe and maybe a pick uh, or a protected pick but I don't think you're going to get anything significant if you're the Phoenix Suns How about I would you, Chris? I think uh I think you're right on the return I think you're going to get bad return because what's the they have no choices Phoenix has no choices. You're not repairing that. You've already said he's away from the team. And there's a lot of te- not not who needs a point guard too. Like there's not a lot of teams either. Well, it's interesting because you would think theoretically he would be your he is an ideal backup slash third guard. And I actually believe in that role, 
He is absolutely a championship piece. Um, you know, he is I, I'd like to see him reinvigorated playing for somebody where the stakes actually matter because it has been so long since we have seen that. Um, when he first came into the league, those first, you know, four years, and he was playing for the Clippers, he was a guy that people struggled when he was locked in. You couldn't you could hardly get the ball past half court on him. On those Vinny Del Negro Clipper teams, he was an absolute menace. Uh, and especially in the playoffs, he was just awesome uh, as that kind of a guy. Now, obviously, it's evolved over the years, um, and he's you know he's a really good player. But I feel like he hasn't given a shit in so long. I mean, I watched him last year, and like you'd see opposing point guards dropping thirty something points on this guy, and that would have never happened years ago. And I don't think it is just he don't. He doesn't have it anymore. He just didn't care anymore on that end. But once upon a time, when that when that kid was locked in, he would, I mean, because he is so big and he is so strong for his position that he could lock guys down. It's just been a long time since we've seen that. I thought for sure after his first four years that he would be a staple on the all-defensive team, and it just, it just never happened. So I don't know. I, I do not. I, I don't think I'd want him to be my starting point guard, but man, if he could be my third guard, holy mackerel! And see, he he gets paid kind of the amount that that would be okay right now to be your third guard. I think he could be pretty devastating in that role. You know, it's almost like a. It's Marcus Smartish, right? He's kind of he's kind of Marcus Smartish. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, like with, with with better offense, and you know, if you can get that coming off your bench, he could maybe potentially be a steal for you. And hopefully, the team that does trade for him, hopefully for that team, he stays healthy. That, yeah. that's the key thing. Because if he can, if he can, if he can get back to his former defensive level while still being closer to the evolved offensive player he is today, um, then you're getting a really, really good player um, for probably a quite a lower return than you might expect to, um, yeah. considering the situation. My only worry is, and maybe just the losing just totally beat the guy down. It's, to, it's totally possible. But, like, he was a dog. He was a real bulldog. And that's just not that's just not there anymore. When you watch him play, you don't go, man, that guy is a bulldog. Like, I just haven't seen it in so long. I know he's got it. I know he's got it in him. And maybe it's just, you know, the, you know, I mean, you just get frustrated. You get, you, you give up. Oh, I, I, for for lack of a better term, you just stop caring like you used to. Um, but anyway, so that that is a little bit of a worry, but that's a that's about it. Um, those were uh, those were probably the two biggest stories over the course of the last week. <laughs> Unbelievably, that both featured the Phoenix Suns um, with Eric Bledsoe going somewhere and also uh, getting a new coach. Do you think many people were very high on the general manager there? Uh, you know, the first step is you can blow out the coach, and that was done rather early. What are the chances you think the GM survives there? And should he? He's clearly missed on some guys, right? The Alex Lynn thing is rough for sure. Um, you know, who knows on Chris and Bender? Who knows? Hit on Booker for sure. But, you know, it's it's uneven. In terms of the the moves, kind of got everybody's hopes up in 
16 and 17. Remember they were pushing out there. They're going to make a run at LeBron. They're going to make a run at Carmelo. They're going to make a run at this guy. They're stacking the deck to be able to get Aldridge. And it just really hasn't played out clearly free agency wise. And the draft's been uneven. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the odds are probably low that he makes mm. it through it. Uh, I think I think McDonough is a good general manager. I think he's done a s- solid job of drafting and accumulating talent. I just think that sometimes the the mix isn't right. Uh, but I, but I hope he gets time personally. I hope that front office gets time, and I hope I hope they're able to find the right head coach. Because look, man, like a lot of the young players that they drafted, Bender, Chris. You know, you knew when you drafted them; those those guys are going to take time. Even even someone like Josh Jackson this year, he's someone who his offense is going to take time to develop. Devin Booker is somebody who developed probably ahead of schedule. Jackson, so far early in the season, his offense looks a little bit ahead of schedule. Marquise Chris last night in their win against the Kings, he had one of his more impressive performances that I've seen from him, despite falling out, and that's still still an issue. But that's beside the point. Um, they they have young talent on that team that McDonough has drafted and their front office has brought in. So I I hope he gets time, but at the same time with Robert Sarver at owner, I mean, he's probably going to have a quick trigger finger. Okay. Uh, Other things, uh, quick notes on Dwayne Wade asking to go to the bench. He obviously got heaped with an immense amount of praise. People talking about that's what a great teammate does. This is a guy that's willing to sacrifice and yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, Gave, gave Dwayne Wade a great opportunity to retweet some people that were, (laughs) praising him uh we are early into the season and Dwayne Wade said hey you know what I'll go to the bench what do you think about time I don't know why you started in the first place I mean I get it because oh yeah you know you're bringing in Dwayne Wade you know he's the veteran you got to start him LeBron wants this Wade wants this etc blah 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 but at the same time from a practical perspective that lineup did not make any sense Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade don't space the floor for LeBron James. That that's really the issue in your backcourt. Whereas for three plus years now, J.R. Smith has effectively been a three and D style player alongside LeBron James, and it's worked out perfectly. And then you put J.R. Smith on the bench, and he struggles getting into a rhythm off the bench. And Wade, who has declined for four straight years continued to struggle with Cleveland without getting as many touches without getting as much opportunity. And not only that, just the fact that he's getting old, um, it just doesn't make sense. So put it back the way it was. J.R. Smith can space the floor for LeBron and who knows, maybe Dwayne Wade will have a heck of a lot more success going, going against bench units coming into the game later in the first quarter. It could be good for Dwayne Wade and that could be good for the Cavaliers as well. Of 10 possible, uh, lineup decisions that are made on the Cavs, how many do you think Tyron Lue is responsible for? <laughs> it doesn't it feel doesn't um, it feel doesn't it feel like they always like just call yeah. their own shots on like yeah, everything? Yeah. Like I don't like, it, it's um, not like Tyron Lue is moving Dwayne Wade to the bench. It's like Dwayne Wade says he's moving to the bench. Like and <laughs> end of story. I've never seen a team like this. It's unbelievable. Oh, could you imagine? Hey, could you uh, fathom? Could you imagine if you had like, uh, I don't know. Let's just say like you saw a story and it was like, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge says he's going to the bench. He's gonna come off the bench. People be like, what? Like, yeah. actually, like you don't get to 
You don't get to do that, right? You gotta have you gotta have Greg Pop. It's kind of like Greg Popovich's call. Whereas everything that happens with Cleveland, it feels like it's just accepted that either LeBron says what's going to happen, or now Dwayne Wade says what's going to happen. I would I would say maybe a quarter of the decisions are Tyron Lue. It's it's Coach LeBron, it's GM LeBron, it's owner LeBron, it's Commissioner LeBron. LeBron can go anywhere he wants to go. He can play anywhere he wants to play, and he can virtually play with anybody he wants to. Uh, LeBron LeBron's got control. All right. You would say two point five out of every ten, then, right? You say twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah, twenty five percent. Yep. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to give five impressions or first impressions slash possible overreactions uh, that Kevin and I have from the first week of the NBA season and the games that have been played. We'll get to that after these words. Today's Ringer NBA show brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're in need of great talent for your business but short on time, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find the perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job on over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who use ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ringer. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ringer. One more time to try it out for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ringer. The show is also brought to you today by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. Their seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. They also have plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets, too. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. All right, Kevin, we've had a week of games happen so far. Five first impressions slash possible overreactions, much like our predictions episode last week. This may be one that we want to go back and erase come time. But <laughs> we are. We, I'm putting the caveat in that these are... Uh, these are first impressions or possible overreactions uh, that we have so far this year. I will say uh, my first one is that the Milwaukee Bucks belong with the other four top Eastern teams. I think there was a general consensus, and at least you and I talked about this, that maybe that there was a there were four that we were certain of, and then there was a division between them and then like the rest but I don't think there is a division between them and the rest. I think there is a division between them plus the Bucks, and then the rest. And I, and that is of course, uh, 
Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, and the Wizards. I think most people thought if you were if you were just throwing out the top four seeds in the Eastern Conference, that that was a pretty good bet that it would be those four and they would be in some order. Um, but my first impression is that the the Bucks and especially Giannis, who is just otherworldly right now, um, that the that the Bucks are going to be they're going to be in that mix that it is not some kind of foregone conclusion who the top four seeds in the Eastern conference are going to be. You agree? Uh, I'm with you, Chris. Giannis is the one week MVP. That's for damn sure. Unbelievable. He's, he is just, he is outrageous. I mean, does he need a three pointer to be, to be a stud? Like, I mean, no, he doesn't. Cause we're seeing it right now, but imagine, imagine Giannis in five years. I mean, Come on. What we're seeing now is outrageous, Chris. It's crazy. You know what? I want to give a shout out to David Thorpe, who is a friend of mine, who a long, uh, long time ESPN employee, no longer is there. Uh, but Coach Thorpe, I remember this. I'm going to give him credit for this. This is this is like the rookie year. And it was like during preseason. And you might be able to find this somewhere on Twitter. I should go back and search. But I remember this like it was yesterday um, because I called him after it. And I'm like, what in the hell are you talking about? He he started he went on this thing about watching Giannis and he compared him to Durant. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Like what? I don't like I I get like the kids got tools and maybe if he puts it together and and this kind of stuff but like even if he puts it together like really? I mean Kevin Durant is like maybe the second best player in the world and anyways like I don't know man. I I remember that like it's yesterday. He called his shot on that kid and I mean he could easily Kevin right now you could see him. Here's an overreaction. You could see him by season's end for certain. Bust through that top five players in the league list. That when oh, we yeah. get to the oh, when, yeah. You're right. When you for get sure. to the end of the season, yeah. how many guys do you want over him? And I'm not talking about for the future. I'm talking about now. Like how many guys are you certain you'd want more than him? It's like the list is shrinking like after like every game it feels like you know like you know what like so like let, let's just, like I just pulled up one list just the first one that popped up on Google you know the Washington Post top 100 they have LeBron 1 Durant 2 Kawhi 3 Curry 4 Westbrook 5 Harden 6 and then they had had Giannis 7th already ahead of Davis Butler, Towns, Green, Paul, Wall, Thompson, etc. Right. So uh, you you would need Giannis to really leapfrog ahead of Curry, Westbrook, Harden, Leonard. That's a lot to ask. But at the same time, like let's just say these four games are a are a projectable sample of what we're going to see over the next seventy eight games. If if Giannis averages thirty one points per game, ten rebounds, four assists, or something like that. And he continues doing well on defense as well. Maybe the argument can be made: you take him over Harden. Maybe you even take him over Westbrook. I mean, he could slip into that top five. I, I could see that happening. Uh, um, let me. Uh, it's probably it's probably too soon, but there's a chance at least. And the fact that we're even talking about it, I think, says a lot about a 22 year old player. 
Well, we listen with all this stuff. We 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 said at the beginning we're overreacting. We're at least being transparent about this, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Hey, and, so all right. at the same time, like in some ways, is it overreacting though? I mean, here here's Giannis, a guy who has gotten significantly better every single season. This is his fifth year. He's gotten better every year, probably by a significant amount. I mean, the leap from 2015 to 2016 was pretty huge. So what if we're seeing another one from him? And we could be. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's an overreaction to, to, to even say that. I mean, he's a top 10 guy already. And what we've seen so far is just another level from him. It, it's it's just remarkable to see. And it's not like he's doing it against, against, against Joe Schmoes either. I mean, he did it against the Celtics, that, who have a good defense. Cavaliers, he did it against them. Granted, their defense is horrific. Blazers have talent on their team. And the Hornets do too. It's not like he did this against the Suns or the Lakers. I mean, he is doing it against quality opponents. And in big moments too. There's an article. There are articles from the beginning of August where Giannis had said he might be the MVP. And you've already gotten this whole MVP campaign beginning, right? And in fact, uh, you know, it was on our uh, website. Haley O'Shaughnessy wrote an article about the Giannis MVP campaign has begun. And there were the quotes from like Brad Stevens in there um, where he said, uh, Brad Stevens, after the loss to the Bucks, said, quote, when you watch Giannis tonight, you thought that's an MVP candidate right there. I mean, so it had, listen, Brad Stevens overreacting too, then, huh? It's the truth. It's the truth. And I, I, I would go as far as to say I don't think it's an overreaction. I think what we're seeing is pretty real. Okay. One other thing I want to ask you about the Bucks. Um, I threw them in there with the Raptors and the Celtics and the Cavs and the Wizards. Do you believe that that is so? After a week, do you still think the Celtics and the Raptors. How about this? How about uh, let me rephrase this different. So if I throw the Bucks in there and I say there's five in a separation, do you agree that those are the five? Is there anybody else that you could see getting in that five? Maybe Miami, right? If, if we're talking about the top no, five seeds, not really, not really, Chris. I don't. Okay. And, and to your to your point about the Bucks, um, the only reason the Cavaliers are widely considered the number one team in the East is LeBron. And Milwaukee has kind of their own LeBron and Giannis. So it's like, I think with them, yes, they absolutely, if this is real from Giannis, they absolutely belong in that top four conversation. They they could even push for more because anytime you have a transcendent elite level night in and night out player like Giannis, maybe, maybe again, for overreacting a little bit here, you got to be in the conversation and, and Milwaukee certainly might have that player with Giannis Antetokounmpo. All right. Uh, next one. What you got? I got the Spurs are still the Spurs, and this probably is kind of a mild overreaction, but I'm just amazed by them early this season. No Kawhi Leonard, no Tony Parker, and yet, Chris, they're 3-0. They beat the Wolves. They they handled the Bulls. Then they beat the Raptors last night, which was a really fun game to watch. LaMarcus Aldridge looks like the LaMarcus Aldridge of old, and, and ever since... Shea Serrano became pro LaMarcus. LaMarcus has been good. It's like all he wanted was Shea's blessing, and it's beautiful to watch. But in all seriousness, he looks great. He's averaging 24 and 9. Then you get DeJounte Murray, second year point guard who fell to 29th in the 2016 draft. He he is somebody who I wasn't 
I wasn't that high on him because he was so raw on the offensive end and because he played with so little effort on the defensive end. But with the Spurs, I mean, could he have gone into a better situation already in his second year? He has been excellent on defense. He's rebounding the hell out of the ball. And anybody who's watched him like last night defend Kyle Lowry, he had some real moments against Lowry, uh, DeJounte Murray did. So it's like for San Antonio, they're, they again are just plugging guys into situations when their top players are out. Again, no Kawhi Leonard so far this season. And they still and they still are really excelling at the defensive end of the floor. They're still tight, and they're doing enough offensively for now until they get Kawhi and a guy like Tony Parker back. It, it's just remarkable to watch. It's crazy when you pull up the Spurs team leaders. Rebounding, DeJounte Murray, 9.7 rebounds. <laughs> Assists, DeJounte Murray, 4.7 assists. Wow. Field, field, <laughs> hey, I'm not done. Field goal percentage, DeJounte Murray, 57%. Wow. Steals, DeJounte Murray, four. <laughs> like, what? Like, oh, like, oh, what? Keep going, keep going, Chris. <laughs> is, I mean, that is unbelievable. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's insane. He looks great, man. DeJounte Murray. Look, I mean, there's I, I talked to one NBA executive recently, last season at some point, and he said to me, he's like, I think I think it's the teams that are often at fault for why a player fails. Not not necessarily the player. So for someone like DeJounte Murray, if he went to a different team, maybe we we wouldn't even be talking about him because he would be in a situation where he's another struggling rookie. He hasn't really found his way, but then he goes to the Spurs and his defense has done it about face. Like at Washington, all you saw was potential. I mean, long, long arms, he can move. He's quick. He's agile, but he played with piss poor effort. And like, he took horrible angles on closeouts, didn't rotate like little things like that. And now with the Spurs, he's, he's really like already a, really really good defender maybe maybe a great defender only in a second year it's just it's just unbelievable how opportunity and situation can can have such a heavy impact on a player and we're seeing it with DeJounte Murray I actually thought about that exact thing the other night because there's been this long debate on what what happens with Kawhi Leonard if he goes if he gets drafted by somebody else let's say he gets drafted by a terrible team right what happens with him um because you know that there's been a lot of credit towards that shot doctor. He got a lot of the circumstances surrounding him, which uh, the San Antonio News Express years ago wrote a great article. It was like kind of it was uh, you could probably find it. It's like the building of Kawhi Leonard or something like that. But they had gotten him in the lockout year. Um, they had drafted him then, or traded rather, George Hill, um, and that he worked with this shot guy and he did all this stuff. And so by the time that they had gotten to him or that he was ready to play for that team, he had already done this immense amount of work. And obviously a lot of credit goes to the organization, but long story short, I actually thought about that the other night with Wiggins, who is an unbelievable talent who has gotten really beat up over the defense and whatever else. But I wondered to myself, like, Imagine if that kid went to a team that was really good, right? Imagine if he goes to a team that's really good and he's got to, um, you know, maybe he doesn't get a ton of minutes. Maybe he's not playing all the time. And and he's able to just kind of not have a huge load on him immediately. And you wonder how much that affects you 
not only for the first couple of years, but maybe even possibly the rest of your career, right? When you're just thrown into the deep end immediately, what kind of what kind of effect can that have on you long term? And I guess my opinion would be like if, if Wiggins would have gotten drafted, I, I guess you could say this about every player because we got so much, uh, you know, we've got so much respect for the Spurs. But let's say Wiggins goes to like a really good team and is able to just kind of mature at his rate. I think he I think he's like maybe even a way better player than he is now, you know? I think sometimes we do it. Situation is really everything, Chris. Yeah, no. Situation's and, everything. And sometimes guys. we I, I, well, that's why the that's why these Celtics guys are in a good spot. They are. I mean, they're kind of getting thrown into the deep end more than yeah. they would normally. Brown, Jason Tatum. Yeah. yeah. But it, but even last year, that was a good team that had a really good record and Brown was at least able, to, you know, he was able to play, but he 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 certainly got humbled his first year. He wasn't just like, you know, he, it wasn't a birthright that he just walked in and gets to take all the shots. Not at all. In fact, he still doesn't get to. You know? Whereas when you play on a really yeah. crappy, when you play on a really crappy team and you can just walk in and you're the guy immediately, I feel like that can stunt you. I do. Um, all right. Second one for me is uh, I, and again, this is a first impression. I think it's going to be harder for the Warriors to win the 65 to you know plus games uh than I originally thought. And and here's why I say this. Obviously, they were in a tight game last night with the with the Mavericks at halftime and then just blew the doors off of them. <laughs> but just watching them um you know, obviously I got to see them in person over the weekend. And one of the things that stood out to me is there are a lot of teams. It's now three years that they have had this team. And then you look around and and so many teams, we live in a copycat world. And I think that that has an effect on all, all teams and the personnel that they that they have. Because you, you look at the best teams. And so you see one of the teams starts Draymond Green at center. One of the teams in the other conference um, starts Kevin Love at center. And so three years ago, there was still a lot of there was still a lot of feeling about he's too small to be a four and he's not quick enough to be a three. And like position, like there were there were still it was still prevalent where people viewed basketball like that. And what they did with the shooting and with the pace and with the personnel is they flipped, they did like their success flipped a lot of things on their head. Now, I think that there was a sentiment at the beginning. It was like, dude, don't try to match up with them because you're just, you you can try to, but you ain't going to do it as well as them. But I look around the league and I see so many teams that want, uh, length and athleticism and playmaking at all different positions. They want guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot at all kinds of positions. And if you're just kind of like a one-trick pony, it's really held against you. And so it's almost like three years down the road this year, I feel like on a night-in, night-out basis, they're ma- I, clearly it's everybody's you know Super Bowl uh, when that team comes to town. In, in most cases. Um, but I, I feel like so many of these teams have all 
you know, they, they've changed the way things are being done. Uh, and so teams match up a lot better than them, you know, than, than they used to. And so I, I you know, playing a hundred games every year is hard anyway, but I thought maybe, well, damn, man, they lost Durant for a crazy amount of time last year and they still won all those games. Well, what this year, and they're comfortable playing with each other, and they're honed in, my God. I mean, what are they going to do? Like, they may, what are they going to lose, like, a couple games the whole year? And then I just, I, I don't know. I wonder, because I do think that they have had a profound effect on people, and I think they are going to see more teams with harder matchups for them. They're still amazing. They're still the overwhelming favorite. But in terms of racking up an absurd amount of wins, I think it's going to be a little harder than I thought. I was one of those that thought, like, what the hell? Are they going to go, like, 77-5? and five? I mean, it's all unfair. It's all stupid. But I, I think I watched the league, and I think, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teams that are playing uh, a lot differently than they used to. And... You you see a lot of, you know, six, eight guys standing out on the wing that are playing power forward now. And that wasn't so three years ago, but it is now. Um, I don't know. Is that is that ridiculous? Or what do you think? I, I'm going to respond to what you said about Golden State, then kind of pivot into my second point right. that we're going to discuss because it, re- it relates to the last thing you said, Chris. And that's the fact that, yeah, you're right. You know, with Golden State, they have gotten off to a slower start, primary, partially because teams are playing a little bit more like them in some ways. Um, I think we're going to see that over the course of the season. Um, ultimately, I think Golden State's only opponent really is himself. I think what Steve Kerr said, I believe, on after Saturday's game or Friday's game against the Pelicans, whatever game it was, after one of the games, he said how with the lack of practice time, with a shorter training camp, shorter preseason, they haven't really been able to get into the same rhythm that they had in the past. And I think really that's the key thing for them, that I underestimated that so did a lot of other people where early in the season they're still in training camp mode and it's going to take time for them to really get that same rhythm where they're just pummeling opponents. Um, With that said, you're right. Like teams are presenting a greater challenge this year. And this is kind of one of the things that I wrote about during the preseason where it's like they have a lot more elite level competition, um, not necessarily teams that are on their same level, but they're at least a, t- a tier below. And so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be harder for them to to get that over that. I believe the over the over under was 67 and a half. It's going to be hard for them to hit that with the amount of opponents that they have. To your point, last point, Chris, about about the teams kind of taking on more of their style. Um, this is my second point. The Raptors change style of play drastically. I mean, they're they're the team that has done that. I think more than anybody else this year, they have the second highest three point rate in the league of forty four percent, which means forty four percent of their shots have been three pointers. That's compared to last year when they ranked twenty second with only twenty nine percent. And this year, they're passing the ball a hell of a lot more, too. They're 10th in assist percentage after ranking 30th the last two seasons and 28th in the 2014-15 season. And NBA.com doesn't have tracking data available yet, but I'll be very curious to see what their passing numbers look like uh, based on the tracking data. I would imagine there's going to be a significant difference based on passes per possession or passes per, per minute. And and it's not like – so like the thing with Golden State and Houston and teams 
like that. It's not like they just launch threes and they don't get to the line or they don't get to the rim. Um, the Toronto is, is kind of doing that too, where they haven't stopped attacking the rim. They haven't stopped drawing fouls. It's just, they've kind of taken away the mid range shot. And so they've, they've totally adapted that modern style of play. They've modernized their offense and, and I'm excited about it. They need to start hitting more threes that they're taking, but the fact that they're making a really, really um, admirable effort to take on the style after the years of just ISO ball, it's fun. It's really fun to see another team taking on that style. And you know what? You got to give Dwayne Casey credit for that. You do. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy to pivot. Yep. Right? When it's the same guy. Not at all. Usually you got to make a coaching change to get it to happen. Right? But to have somebody, you know, that's in charge and willing, uh, willing to change. I think Casey deserves some, some real credit for that. Um, and let, oh, hey, let me let me let me uh, just circle back real quick on the on the Warriors thing because I did mention this. One of the other things was, um, you know, a couple of years ago, and and this is this stands to reason when you have to pay Curry and you got another twenty plus million dollar player on your roster in Durant that your bench is gonna take a hit. There's just no way around it, right? And and that is the other thing about the Warriors. Their their starters are so amazing that they are going to bury you most nights. Um, but their bench is not what it used to be. There's, I mean, it used to be like if you would, they would, they would put Durant and Curry on the bench and they would have that unit with like, even like when the one with like Barbosa and Spates and Livingston and those guys. And it was like, they might be up by 14 and then they put the bench in and next thing they're up by 30. And I don't, I don't see that happening with them as much this year. Um, on a regular basis. I don't think their bench is going to bury people. And it used to be able to bury people. That's what I'd say. Like I, when they bury people, it's going to be because, you know, Curry, Clay, Durant, and Draymond are out there. But that's it what happened. It would be interesting to see how they evolve. I, I still, I still think that their only true opponent is themselves though. Ultimately. Listen, don't, don't get me wrong. They're amazing. Uh, number three for me. And this, I, you and I talked about our predictions. We talked about playoff teams and everything else, right? And we talked about how how much talent there is up and down that bench in Denver. But I said, you know, I do wonder if the point guard thing is going to hold them back. And since we last spoke, I I was very surprised when I and maybe I shouldn't have been, but they just waved uh, Jameer Nelson and then they brought in Richard Jefferson after he got cut by the by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think they effed that up. I do. And maybe this is going to be an overreaction, but or I, I already had that in my head anyway. I was already kind of worried about it. And Jameer Nelson shot well from three. And Jameer Nelson's like a real leader. Like he's a real like I I, I think those guys, you know, he took the challenge every night. And you face so many awesome point guards, and I get it. They're at a deficit, right? You don't love the matchup the night that Jameer Nelson's going to have to go up against John Wall. But I don't think I, I am a. I do not think Murray's a point guard, and I do not, and I and I do not believe in Moody yet. And so, and I get like the, I, I read their quotes from Mike Malone. He said, you know, basically, it really doesn't matter because. You know, Nicola and and uh, and and Paul 
are going to have the ball so much. We don't, we don't have to have John Stockton. Okay, fine. You don't have to have John Stockton. You're going to run your offense to those guys. Um, I don't, I, but I think having Jameer Nelson was a way better deal than what they're rolling with now. Cause those guys are both young. Um, and I think, I think they're going to cost themselves a significant amount of wins unless they go and find somebody to replace that Jameer Nelson, that calming influence, that what, you know, who's going to be speaking up, who's going to lead by example. I, I don't know. I thought that was dumb. I thought it was dumb. And I think it may cost them. I don't know. I don't know. It's Jameer Nelson, though. I mean, they still have enough ball handlers, at least. I think Will Barton can handle the rock. Emmanuel Moutier, I mean, he's coming off the bench. He's not. It's not like a significant role for him. I mean, I agree. Like, Nelson is a loss. But at the same time, I think they have enough ball handlers on that team where – I don't know if Nelson really would move the needle that much, but but to your point, Chris, they're the team that needs someone like Eric Bledsoe, right? That Bledsoe would be perfect on that team, based on kind of the the role of the point guard, based on the fact that it is a multi-ball handler offense. I think Bledsoe would look great for them. He would really bolster their defense, but he would also um, provide another ball handling presence on the offensive end of the floor without having to be the primary guy because they do distribute the ball around. Millsap handles it. Jokic handles it. Will Barton's going to run offense too. Um, I, I think that would be a, a good spot for Bledsoe. Um, but but personally, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not too worried about them losing Nelson. All right. I am. You are not. And I think it will cost them. And I think what we're going to see is maybe not individually his uh, they were make no mistake. They were fighting for a playoff spot last year because they had Nelson when they moved to that and they abandoned the Moody stuff that gave him a chance. And obviously the Jokic that he exploded and whatever else. But I, um, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm a Jameer fan. And I think that the, the other stuff, that is, you bring is Jameer Nelson a top five point guard? Oh come I'm, on! I'm he's only not kidding. No, I'm only he, kidding. I'm only kidding. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I'm he's only not, kidding. He's not even a top. He's not even a top twenty. You probably want him as your backup. But I, I'm comparing I'm him. Only, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I, I, but I'm. But I mean, I'm comparing him to Murray, and I'm comparing. Uh, I'm comparing him to Murray and uh, and Moutier. And yeah, I do. And those I don't. Guys aren't ready to handle the load. Jamal Murray is not a point guard. I don't give a damn what anybody says. He should not well, be playing point guard. I'm, I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you because Jamal Murray is a guy that I was not super high on prior to the draft. I mean, he's a, he's going to be a good player, but I just don't see the point guard skills with him. I don't I don't think he is quick enough of a first step. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of beside the point. But I I, I don't think Murray's a point guard either. All right. Uh, so that was my third one. What's your third one? Chris Stapps. <laughs> With oh all the talk about Giannis and all this focus on super teams, it's kind of weird to me, Chris, that Chris Stapps has kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. I mean, he's he's been pretty unbelievable, averaging 32 points, nine rebounds, and it's only two games. So it's like the stats don't really matter that much. So forget the stats. It's like the way he looks, and, and the game just looks easy to him. He, he's smooth, attacking from the perimeter. His footwork looks cleaner, more crisp. He's scoring from the low post and the high post, scoring on the roll and the pick and pop. He's The Knicks are running him off screen sometimes, which is something he's done since he's been playing overseas. I mean, he he is only 22, and he is suddenly looking like a complete player. And I'm 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 just floored by him so far through only two games, and, and I just think that Porzingis 
is the only reason to watch the Knicks, and he's the only reason to feel hopeful about their future. And what we're seeing so far is actually quite a lot of reason to feel a lot of hope because he's been pretty unbelievable. He really is a freak of nature, too. You know, I know everybody calls him the unicorn, but for anybody, you know, for that listens to this, if you have the opportunity, um, there are some guys in the NBA. Well, I mean, I think most guys in the NBA that you gain a different level of appreciation for when you see them in person. But there are some that are just a total, uh, they're another level. And when you see that kid in person and you see how tall he is, how big he really is when he's walking around, it is, I mean, it is shocking how how tall that kid is uh, with the ability to do everything Mammoth. that he can do with the shooting and the dribbling and everything. I mean, he's gigantic. It's like he's... You know, I mean, I, I get it, right? You see him on TV, people know he's tall or whatever. He slumps over a lot, too. You know, that, that almost makes him look not as tall. But he's as tall as, like, these friggin' Samuel Dallin Bears of the world. Like, these guys that, you know, these uh, these tall centers that Samuel we used to Dallin see. Bear, that's a good one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, these tall centers that we used to see. I mean, he, what is he, like, 7'2", seven, 7'3"? Seven, I mean, it's just, I don't know, man. He's freakish. 7'3". Seven, 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 Seven three, I believe, in shoes. So he's like seven one and a half, flat footed, seven three in shoes, which is outrageous. I've never seen anything like that. You know, I mean, you see Durant and you get an appreciation because he's he's super tall too, right? And when you see him handling the ball like he does, it's just unbelievable. But the Porzingis thing is just another level. Like he does, he looks like every guy that would be the third center on a team, you know, 15 years ago that you would just put in there to, like, try to get some fouls and maybe protect the rim for a minute. So the idea that this guy can cross people over is just, <laughs> I mean, it's the evolution of the game for sure. Uh, and he is, one thing I super agree with you on, he is absolutely the only reason to watch the Knicks. Yes. I really. Except, what other reason is there? I, what, what else is there? What what else are you gonna watch on that team? My favorite, my favorite. Frankie uh, Nicotine's not playing. I know my my favorite. Watch Ron uh, Baker. My favorite. Uh, don't slander Ron Baker. That's my favorite. Uh, I'm not. I children, like Ron Baker. Children's. But I you haven't. You're not gonna tune in to watch Ron Baker. <laughs> he is a children's book author, Kevin. Of which I own an autographed copy. You know what? You know how that happened. Was uh, what's his name? Uh, Concepcion network he was on with me last year yes he was on with me last year and brought it up and i thought he was effing with me Uh, and then i looked it up you're never small Hmm. yeah you're never too big to dream small or what is it you're never too small to dream big or whatever you're you're, you're too big to dream too you're too big to dream small yeah yeah, from the small towns of northwest kansas that's it breaker has reached the pinnacles of basketball (laughs) he led scott city to the state high school championship he was a star player in the best hour of wichita state basketball history he was even a member of team usa in the pan am games as he begins his journey to the professional level ron's first children book offers some more encouraging words to young readers you're too big to dream small i've got an autographed copy Go buy ron baker's book <laughs> that's pretty awesome is, is it good it's unbelievable he's like the I, I he's like, like the cover it's really cool he, he's like the modern day uh oh what was the name of that guy that i used to read the books when i was a kid matt christopher was it matt christopher i think matt christopher was the sports book guy 
think that was the name of it. Anyway, number four. So <laughs> everybody, uh, everybody loves Ben Simmons. Everybody loves Lonzo Ball. Everybody loves Dennis Smith Jr. And all these mm-hmm. rookies and rookie point guards around the league. The one to watch for me, and I get it. I love watching all of them. But, man, watch out for old De'Aaron Fox. Now, he has, so far this year, had 15, he's averaged 15 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists in an average of 27 minutes. Um, he's also, and then the other night, I mean, you're talking 19, 5, 4, 3 steals. He's so far 46% from the field, 40% from 3. And you just watch him and... He is clearly the most exciting player on the floor almost always. He is he's going to be a league pass go-to for me for sure. Um and he may end up being the best of them. It's totally possible because if he if he can really shoot, my god. Uh speed kills and you think about these guys, you know, the John Walls and the Derrick Rose and the Russell Westbrook and if you've got the requisite talent, man what you can't do is match their speed and his speed with the ball. And if he can become a shooter, my God, Kevin, I love this kid. I absolutely love him. And and I love him, even though the last game on last night was that Phoenix Sacramento game. And I watched that thing on league pass. Holy crap. Do you want to talk about bad basketball? <laughs> Those teams both. I mean, they were just horrific to watch. Damn near. The only reason I was watching that thing was for De'Aaron Fox after a while, because he was the only fun thing going on. Scala Bissier was kind of fun, too. Um, but that game was horrendous. Uh, anyway, De'Aaron Fox, I feel like he's getting talked about less than the other rookies, but first impression on him, I loved him anyway. I was there for the De'Aaron Fox. I saw the De'Aaron Fox-Alonzo Ball tournament game in person, and I walked out of the arena going, holy crap, this kid. I mean, that was one of the best performances I've ever seen ever in anything. Um, but, I mean, through the first couple games, he is, I mean, he's been amazing. So I want to give a shout-out to him. And I saw you've got quite the controversy on your hands with Mr. Fox. Yes, yes. Um, oh, the other night, someone, somebody at the Kings game yelled, Kameha, which is – not correct. The term in Dragon Ball Z is Kamehameha. So, De'Aaron Fox said it wasn't him, and I believe him because I don't think he would make a mistake like that. Um, but the fact is, is that Dragon Ball Z has somehow infiltrated the NBA in a way that makes my life and the lives of so many others much, 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 much better. And it's not just De'Aaron Fox. You look at his Twitter page. He says he lives on planet Vegeta. His... His Twitter image is a Photoshop of him as a Dragon Ball Z character. His Twitter header photo is a bunch of Dragon Ball Z characters. It's not just the Aaron Fox, Chris. It's not just him. Jordan Bell, last night on Instagram, posted a Photoshop of him as a Dragon Ball Z character with the caption, Dub Z. You look at Clee Anthony early. He was watching Dragon Ball Super a couple weeks back. And someone tweeted, me and you, a tweet that you ignored probably for obvious reasons, a picture of Mark Gasol wearing a Dragon Ball Z shirt from a, some year in the playoffs. It might have been this past year. Mark Gasol, also a Dragon Ball fan. So, Chris, 
NBA fans, NBA players love Dragon Ball Z. NBA players love Dragon Ball Z. It's happening. You can't deny it. And it's really the best development that has ever happened in the history of the National Basketball Association. Okay, that's an overstatement. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the best thing that's ever happened. Okay, let's let's get that straight. And I'm actually getting the best weird. thing that's happened in, in the last two weeks. Is that an I, overstatement too? <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting weirded out about this. I really am. I'm getting weirded Why? out because Why? I, because it's got to be like a generation gap thing of, and I do usually don't that's have what I that. I said to you in the first place or huh? Spike Eskin. What? I said it to you and Spike. That's what it is. It's a generation thing. And you guys are like, no, it was around at my age. And it's like, no, but it's different for this age group. Uh, no, no, hold on now. now. I did not say it's a, not a generational thing. I said, I don't even okay. know what the, I don't even know that anything about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what the hell it is. Like it, 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 it was Spike. Well, shout out to Spike Eskin. No, it's anime. It's anime, right? It's like anime or something. Yes. Right? It's anime. Yes. Okay, well, the only thing I, and again, I'm probably going to get killed for this, but like anime guy to me is like when I think of anime, I think of the weirdest guy in Best Buy is the guy in the anime section. Like whoever, whoever, whoever is the weirdest fucking guy in the whole place. And I'm like, keep my kid away from him. He's the guy in the anime section. That's how I think. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. That's what I think when I'm in the anime. Like when I think of anime, I didn't know it was so cool. It did not use. I'll tell you this. When I grew up, it was not cool. The weird dudes are the ones that liked anime. (laughs) It's <laughs> still not cool, Tate. Says. Oh, come on, Tate. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I mean, I, I guess it's. I guess if the NBA players like it, it's getting. Uh, you know, it's getting cool now. But I promise you, for anybody, I'm in my late 30s. Anybody around my age? Nah, man. Anime was not cool. Okay, yeah. I don't know when that happened. Hey, how old are you, Tate? You're like 20, 24, 25. Are you 25? Well, are right, so you're around that age. Chris, you're right. It wasn't you who said that. It it, it was Spike Eskin, who who is the program director of Sports Radio WIP in Philadelphia and co-host of the RTRS, the Ricky Sanchez podcast. Um, So Spike Spike said a couple weeks back in September that he thinks it's more of an age issue with Dragon Ball Z. He said he's 41. Dragon Ball. He, no, sorry. Let me, let me restate that. He said it's not an age issue because that's what I said it was. It's a generational thing. And Spike said he's 41. Dragon Ball Z was around and thriving when I was in high school. That was a tweet. And my whole thing was this. It's like, no, there, there's a difference from when the show was popular in Japan before it really aired in the U.S. It was different when the it was just the magna, just the comics of, of it. It was, it was the, when the show came in 1996 – that it was insanely popular. Then it when it re-aired in Toonami in two thousand right. is when it was insanely popular. So what we're talking it? about I was oh. born I was born in nineteen ninety. When that when that sh- when I was around 10, 11, 12 years old, that's when that show was really huge for people at that age group. And then it re-aired again like in 05 or 06. So we're talking about the same age range where some of these NBA players born in 95, 96, 97 were not even teenagers yet. That's when people watch the show. 
that's when it was big time. And that's why I think we're seeing a, a huge influx of NBA players entering the league that are huge Dragon Ball Z fans. All right, that's let me why. say, let me just say the, this. And timing. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree with Tate. Tate throws in, you know, that it's partly geographical too. I agree with it. He's, he's North Carolina. I've spent the last, uh, you know, 20 plus years of my life in the, either the Midwest or the South. And so that's I don't possible. know. Like, it was the weird kids, right, Tate? It's the weird kids. Yeah. Like, hey, these are the kids that, like, at the, like they would go, they would go to, like, this is. The, no, no, this is, this is who it was. This is the best way for me to describe it. They're the kids that were, like, at Hot Topic with, like, they've got the, they got, they got the jeans on. Hey, hold on. They got a they got a they got a chain on their wallet. Like they need a fucking chain on their wallet. There's no money in the thing anyway. And then they're like smoking herbal cigarettes outside the mall talking about how their parents don't understand them. Like that's 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 that was my <laughs> that's what, like I like that's that's who it was. So maybe just in it's, our parts of the country, that's what was going on. Whereas everybody else was like, hell, normal and NBA f- players were watching it it must have it must have been a different world i don't know it's like it's like jimmy hendrix said they talking about me like a dog talking about the clothes i wear but they don't realize they're the ones who square (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go watch some dragon ball z (laughs) i want to get down i listen the point is i love the aaron fox and if he likes dragon ball z then so do i and i apologize i love i love dragon ball z if De'Aaron fox does End of story. Okay. All right. Good. Go uh, ahead. I'm, Next I'm one. glad. I'm glad that you were going to start watching Dragon Ball Super now, <laughs> um, Chris. All right. You're fourth. But yeah. Then. So Blake, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's my fourth one. Um, Blake is just shooting and draining threes. He's attempted 26 threes in the regular season and the preseason combined, and he's hit 13 of those. And you know, obviously, he's not going to keep shooting 50 percent, but. His shooting mechanics, to me, and the clips that we've seen so far, look a lot smoother. He's not shooting on the way down as much on his jumpers, and that was kind of, I think, one of the mechanical flaws for him that led to a lot of inconsistencies in the past. And it's not just that either. Um, He's shooting better from the free throw line as well. Again, another small sample, but 85% this month in the preseason and regular season combined. And so for someone like Blake... It's like it's hard to know for if this is for real or not, but I kind of lean towards the side that it is. And the main reason why is because we've seen these incremental improvements from him every single season. I mean, he has stepped back, you know, ever since we had kind of Lob City um, with L.A. and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. He's kind of really moved his game backward towards the three point line every single season. And this is the year where hopefully it all clicks. And so far it has for him. He, he's been great so far. You've been talking about that for a long time, Kevin, about him and more perimeter basketball out of Blake Griffin. So you uh you come to that opinion honest for sure. Uh, I think it's true too. I think I think you're gonna see a big uptick. You're seeing this a lot more with with the bigs that have the ability to do it. Um you saw it happen last year. Marcus All had taken like ten, like in his whole life, and he took like two hundred <laughs> last year. Um, which leads me to my number five. Change your Grizzlies predictions now. Oh boy. I'm gi- I'm giving you a heads up now. They have beaten obviously they beat the Pelicans. So what? But they have beaten the Warriors and the Rockets back to back. Um, David Fisdale has got a team in his likeness 
with a bunch of interchangeable parts. Um, and they haven't even figured it out yet, but they clearly still really, really defend. And they've got a front line of, uh, you know, a, a Mike Conley on one end or Mario Chalmers when he comes in, and then a back line of Marcus All, who Marcus All looks like a superstar so far this year. But beyond all that, the Grizzlies had the opportunity. I don't. I, this has got to be a record as a as a NBA irritant. They have played three outstanding players, uh, or more than three outstanding players. But they have in the last their first three games. First game they played against the Pelicans. Demarcus Cousins told a lady in the crowd to uh, fuck off, um, and he got fined twenty five <laughs> twenty five grand. Steph Curry chucked his mouth guard at a referee and got fined $50,000. And then last night, uh, you got text for James Harden, who pushed down Mario Chalmers as Chalmers was trying to get up after they got tangled up. They are three for three in opposing superstars losing their minds. And these are not guys that, like, regular cousins does. But you don't regularly see either Curry or Harden lose their minds about stuff. And so the fact that they've gotten under their skin, I think uh, bodes some very interesting things. They may end up breaking the NBA record for uh, opponent fines this year <laughs> because they get up in you and these guys get like super frustrated for sure. Um, and, and, and by the way, like if we're talking about who could break the, the Warriors win record, it's pretty clear it's the Grizzlies, right, Kev? Yeah, it's got it's got to be yeah. Memphis. I mean, Memphis. You look at their team; they are built. They have the superstar <laughs> cornerstone Chandler Parsons. Um, if any team can really take away the one seed from Golden State or beat the, or even beat their seventy three wins from a couple uh, a couple years ago, it's Mike Conley, Mario Chalmers, Tyreek Evans, James Ennis, and Marcus Hall. Like that is just like something that you would not normally put together much less something you'd put together that could be devastating. But there it was last night. I don't even know what to think anymore, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what to think. Uh, what's your last one? Ben Simmons is a beast. Oh, God. He's a beast. I mean, he – okay, look. You get the guy, he has a triple-double in his fourth game. He's putting up big numbers. Um, but it's besides that that's – you know, impressive to me. It's really, we knew he was going to put up numbers. I thought he's, we already knew he was an outstanding passer. We already knew he was going to excel in transition. Um, those were things that we knew. We knew he could rebound, right? Those are all things that you kind of expected from him, but it's the things like he's playing better defense in the last four games than he did in all 33 of his games combined at LSU. I mean, he has just elevated his play all around i think he's doing a better job of absorbing contact at the rim one of one of my really hang-ups with him at lsu was the fact that he avoided contact so often and, and he still does that sometimes to an extent um but he's gotten better at it at drawing fouls and really asserting himself and using just his ridiculous frame as he should i so i so with ben simmons it's like look he his his strengths have been enhanced like he's gotten better at what he's already been good at but he's also started to turn some of his weaknesses into strengths 
not 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 really strengths, but he's he's improved his weaknesses at least. And for me, that that's the biggest encouragement. Where we're seeing a rapid improvement in guy from a guy already in the fourth year of his career uh, of his NBA career. And there's going to be difficulties for him. Teams are going to play better defense on him as they kind of get the book on how to stop him in the half court. He's going to have games where he shoots like two of twelve, or he can't get to the line because they sag off him because he can't shoot jumpers. But the fact is, is that he's already made progress. And that's really, really encouraging for me. And I think I think he's going to be far and away the rookie of the year this year, just because of the numbers he's putting up. Voters are going to give that to him. Um, but also just in terms of production, he's been terrific. Yeah, if we're talking about first impressions and possible overreactions, it feels to me like he is Simmons. You know, the whole idea of the process was to be able to nab guys that are going to be huge stars. And it feels like while they missed on some of them, uh, in terms of becoming huge stars like Noel, like Okafor. I think Sarge is going to be really good. I'd be surprised if he's a huge star. It feels like, and and obviously the first impression on Fultz is a bad one. Um, but it feels like they nailed, they clearly nailed it with Embiid if he can stay on the floor. And I agree with you. They they nailed it with Simmons. Like of the, of the whole group of the guys that they've drafted high, it feels like those two they nailed and they could be both be huge, huge stars, like top 10, 20 players in the world. Um, the other ones, no. But those ones, if the idea was to be able to get you some huge stars, those two. And it, and does and listen, it's good for Sixers fans, right? Because the the Simmons thing takes a little bit of the sting out of the first Fultz impression, which I think you would agree is not good. I mean, he's he's been horrific, uh, yeah. but I, I, I'm not overly worried about uh, an immature, young, 19-year-old kid who's got huge expectations on his shoulders. I think he's going to be fine. I think we need to give him time. But, but to your point, Chris, about you know some of their misses, let's let's just say let's 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 just say Fultz is a bust, right? Let's say it doesn't work out with him. But if Embiid and Simmons are healthy. I mean, you got two potential cornerstones right there, and getting one guy is really the hardest step, right? Get it, finding one star that kind of attracts other stars to come there. If you have two, suddenly that team they're going to be really a destination spot to get for a third guy to come. And I don't think it would necessarily be the hardest thing in the world for them to get that. Oh, not to mention, they still have their draft picks coming up. They no, still have the and Kings maybe, pick or, or maybe, the Lakers pick. They still have assets. They, they no. are an amazing spot. And maybe Sarich turns out to that guy. I mean, you do want to get listen. Yeah, you had they had I the really opera. Like I get you. I get you're saying that, but you did have the opportunity to draft a third. I mean, clearly, when we think about one of the best franchises over the course of the last decade, yeah. it's Oklahoma City, and they just nailed it back to back to back. Right? They got they got Durant, they got Westbrook, they got Harden. And that's what you'd hope. That's the grand slam. And maybe it is faults. Maybe it is faults. I mean, he he look it's he fun. can't shoot the ball right now. I which know. Is just just flabbergasting to watch. It is so whack. Did you see the right did you see offense. the the free throw where he I mean, good grief, he missed the yeah, rim. He, he's 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 totally screwed up right now, but he still had some moments driving to the rim using yep. spin moves and he looks clean doing that. Uh he still had moments and just just give Markel Fultz more time than than you than you would probably want to give him, especially with this weird weird shot thing that he's got yep. going on now. He needs to just go back to the uh, what was it? The pull up Hezzy Jimbo or whatever. Wasn't wasn't that him? 
the yeah, Durant. Yeah, the yeah, Durant. That, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, that, yeah, that fault. Fault. I don't know. I, Fultz is weird. Fultz is weird, and and I hope he works it out. But well, it'll it'll take time. Fair enough, Kevin. It has been a fun, fun week. Uh, first week of the NBA season. I'm glad it's all back. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Chris. That was fun. Looking that, forward to next Tuesday. It's going to do it for another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Yeah.